Hello, Rich Bowlers here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. Today, I chat with Larry Hagner. Larry is the author of two best-selling books on fatherhood. He's the creator of the Dad Edge podcast and the creator of the Dad Edge Alliance, which is an elite brotherhood empowering men on their journey to becoming better husbands and fathers. In this chat with Larry, he describes some really great approaches you can take to relate to your kids better, such as focusing on appreciation and curiosity. Larry even shares a powerful story about how reframing questions helped him and his wife work through a particularly challenging time of their lives. Over nearly a decade, this guy has given so tirelessly and done so much to help dads around the world that I really hope you enjoy this chat with Larry Hagner. Larry Hagner, welcome to the show. What is going on, Richard? Thanks for having me, brother. I truly, truly appreciate being on your, being on your podcast, my friend. Oh, no, it's a, it's a long time coming. So I've had multiple friends reach out to me now and say, hey, you've got to get Larry on the show. He's doing some amazing stuff in the States. So can you actually give us a bit of an overview of what you're working on in the States at the moment, Larry? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so I've been in the dad space now for since 2012. Cool. And um, I started it just basically as a Facebook page, not even a group. And that was, that was in 2012, really came out of a really dark, dark moment at the time. And then in 2013, I decided to uh, up the ante a little bit and started a blog. So I started gooddadproject.com. And then in 2015, even though even though I published my first book that year, I was tired of writing a blog. So I was like, uh, I think I'll start a podcast. I, I like I like talking and having conversations instead of you know spell checking and making sure a blog looks all pretty. So that's what it started with. Yeah, and it's been amazing. Like, I mean, can you give us an idea of the traction that you've had so uh, to date? Yeah, as far as traction, meaning uh, how many guys, like, how many guys' lives you're, you've impacted? Oh boy, um, I don't know to be honest. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm real big on quality over over quantity. You know, as far as I, if I were to, I, I know that the podcast is downloaded in 180 countries. Um, we, you know, we're we're well we're well into the millions of downloads now, and so I, I and. I get messages all the time from guys being like, Oh, I just, I just found you. Or like, Oh, I just started listening all the way back to from the beginning, you know, when five years ago and I always tell those guys, <laughs> 500 I'm, I'm plus sorry episodes. For, <laughs> I know. I'm like, uh, I'm sorry for the first year. Just yeah. fast forward to just go back two years ago or you'll be good. You know? <laughs> but, um, we have thousands of guys in our Facebook group. Uh, we have 400 men who are in, who are part of our mastermind community who take part in what we call our elite brotherhood, which we have Zoom mastermind sessions. We have 23 that we do every single week. We serve men literally from across the globe. We have men in New Zealand, Japan, uh, Australia, uh, obviously the US, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, uh, Scotland, Ireland, UK, South Africa, Dubai, and um, those men do life with us on a weekly, daily, weekly, monthly basis. Uh, and as far as, yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you never really know. I mean, I think social media is some of that. You can kind of gauge your numbers by that stuff, but it's really the cool messages that I get. You know, like I just got a a, a general message in my inbox last night from this guy named Ben. 
saying that I'm two, I'm two chapters into your book. I just find your podcast. I can't stop listening, man. I, I drive for a living on the road. And I, I take that stuff like very, very seriously. And I, he, you know, he, in the, in the email, he had his phone number. <laughs> so I, uh, I texted him and I clicked, I made a video, just a one minute video. So yeah. Hey band, man, it's Larry from dad edge. I just want to say thank you very much for the email. And, you know, it means the world to me that the content is, is, is resonating with you and that you're implementing things. So good on you, you know, for that. And he sent me a video back. He's like, Holy crap, man. I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think I'd get an email back even lo, lo and behold a video back. So, but you know, it's, I mean, my style is more personal. So I guess, you know, again, quality over quantity. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that really resonates with one of the reviews I read. So, um, one of the guys said, think of all the lives you, Larry Hagner, have impacted. Not just not just each father, each father's family members. How you thought about um how you thought about that. You've helped extend my life through um physical uh, mental and physical health and fitness. Hundreds of men and their families have you to thank, Larry. So keep doing your great work. And that that's like one of many. So the work you're doing, Larry, is you know, super high quality. It is impacting many families, not just the individual guys. And, uh, and, you know, I think that's, you know, that speaks to the, the quality and quantity even. And, um, I suppose getting back to what you said earlier about, um, blogging was a very, I guess, uh, an individual sport, so to speak, whereas talking and podcasting is very much a, a conversation with someone, and do you think that's what's really resonating with with people? They're feeling that they need to be part of a tribe now. There seems to be an ever-growing requirement for this um, tribe, for guys especially. Without a doubt. Uh, we always say that isolation is the enemy of excellence. And I've seen that. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen it, both personally, myself, and then with individuals who come and do life with us, You know where they have lived... I wouldn't say isolated because I think a lot of people get the sense of like, wow, this guy's like, you know, doesn't talk to anybody. He's like a recluse. He's in his, you know, just in his bedroom in his pajamas. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy that goes to work every day who sees people in the office or, you know, out in the field or wherever he's working and talks to people and interacts with people and um, has acquaintances, maybe even has like, you know, good old boys who from, from college or high school that they go out and have beers with, you know, like that kind of like, just because you're surrounded by people, that doesn't mean you're not isolating. So isolation is usually where a man will talk about the same five things just over and over. And every answer to every question is good and fine. How's life? Good. How's your family? <laughs> fine. what did you do on the weekend? Oh, you know, we hung out. It was good. It was fine. So, you know, very rarely do you, do you get a, around a tribe of men who are like, Hey man, like how's, how's the communication with your wife? Um, are you, are you guys going on dates? Are you talking? Intimacy? How's that? How's the partnership aspect? Are you taking care of yourself? Is she taking care of herself? Or any, any one of you guys burnt out at all? You know, do you need a need to give each other a break somehow, some way? Uh, step up for each other. Those are the types of conversations we have. You know, other other conversations like how how is the connection with your teenager? You know, are, have you been able to connect with your teenager? Is is he or she spending all their time away from the house and giving you one word answers. Would you like to be able to improve that connection? And we can teach you some questions you can ask that aren't intrusive, but also provide connection. So those are not the conversations that 
most men are having. And that's where we talk about isolation because anybody can have the surface level conversations that everybody else has, but those are not the ones, those are not the ones that lead to a fulfilling life. Those are not the ones that will change your life. Those are not the ones that create a legendary marriage or an incredible connection with your kids. Yeah. It's interesting because I was talking to um, one of my friends last week and he used to run walking expeditions for 21 days and they were where people would go deep for a long period of time and they'd be with a, a small group of people and pretty isolated but in their own thoughts and he said that usually on day eight people would have breakdowns and like there'd be big footy players and stuff that are super tough guys you know that had worn this mask all their lives of that what you just said larry that 25 minutes of content that you could talk to the other guys about the weather the footy the news and not get any deeper and he said on that day eight they would break down because they wouldn't be able to have that conversation with anyone. Any other conversation went way deeper because they knew everyone in the group very closely. They'd covered all those topics. So any conversation they did have was really deep and meaningful. And it was a, a huge challenge for many of them. And he said it was like a, a real turning point for people to be forced into that situation. Um, it was a bit harsh, I think, in that sense, because I don't think many people were expecting it. But um quite an eye-opener as well for those guys that came out of it and went, man, what have I been talking about all these years? Or what have I been doing? I've never actually gone any deeper than those first 20 minutes of any conversation. So yeah, it's, it's really powerful stuff. But what what advice would you give, um, you know, or what, what do you generally say to, to guys that sort of recognize that there could be a, a guy in their group, um, you know, friendship group, colleagues at work or something because do you think people would be quite confronted by those sort of questions initially or would you just suggest dive straight in it's it's a it's a tricky thing right because society normal society is not necessarily built for those types of conversations because we're just not used to them uh so when you start those conversations somebody could look at you like well that's kind of odd so i think that there's there's something to be said uh if you want to connect with another man uh, what you can't do is start asking him questions about his most intimate details of his life, right? What you can do is you can compliment a man. So every every man has a strength. You know, my strength is I, I know how to create a legendary marriage. Like the the relationship with my wife is is the best, right? I can also help men uh, with mental fitness you know, emotional fitness, physical fitness, like that's in my wheelhouse. However, there are some times where I, I'm not good with finances, right? But other men are, and I'm not necessarily the most patient father in the world, but other men are. So the way to start that conversation is, you know, is if you and I were to sit down and be like, Hey, Rich, man, I really need some advice. You know, I see you with your kids and I just see you have like this element of patience about you. No matter what's going on, no matter how chaotic life is, you're just always so patient with the kids. And dude, I struggle with that. Like, I seriously struggle with that. So can you help a brother out and give me what is the secret sauce? How are you so patient? Now, what I just did in that conversation is I was very authentic with you. I didn't give you the highlight reel. I didn't say everything was good and fine. In fact, I showed you what my imperfections were right out of the gate, which made you like me more because that humanized me. Now we're relatable. Now, you know, it's no longer like, oh, I saw this on Instagram and your life looks so perfect. That's annoying. 
it's <laughs> it's literally it's literally like oh man like yeah i get it and then you feel complimented because you help me and that makes you feel significant which by the way feeling significant and contra- significance and contribution are two of the two out of the six most basic human needs contribution and significance so usually what that do what that will do is that will open up pandora's box for us to communicate and for us to talk so that's where you can have an opportunity to be like you know now that you brought up the whole patience with the kids thing my wife and I, man, we're kind of going through this season right now where we're not really talking like I really want us to. We're not really communicating on point like I really would like for us to. And I see you and Jessica all the time. Like you guys seem like you 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 guys are in it. Like you're infatuated with each other. Even after 24 years, you know, you, you love each other. It just seems like things are on point. Like what did you do to create that? Now we've peeled back the onion layers on on that. Now we can be significant and, and we can contribute to each other's life. And we've done that because one person was authentic and they asked for advice. And when you ask for advice, you're peeling back your own onion layer, but you're still doing it in a very masculine way. Cause the last thing you want to do is, is be super emotional, touchy feely feminine, even a feminine energy with another man. What you want to do is be like, Hey man, like help, help a brother out. Like I need some advice here and I see you doing this. Well, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? No, totally. And uh, it yeah. made me think of one of the points in your book where uh, you mentioned about talking to a teenager. Like my eldest, Annie, she's uh, 10 now, but she's definitely acting like a teenager. And uh, one of the points you made was, if you want to ask your daughter about how she's doing, um, don't necessarily say how you're doing, but maybe ask about how her friends are doing. And it's almost like, you know, coming in from the side. And then she'll basically maybe open up about what, what her friends are up to or going through at the moment. And then you can sort of um, start the conversation in a way that she's comfortable and then take it from there. Uh, and and sort of, um, are there any other thoughts around, uh, you know, those sort of conversations around your boys? Because you've got four boys, haven't you? And how old's, um, how old's the oldest now? 14. 14. So, yeah. 14. I, I noticed one of the things you also mentioned was, um, drawing alongside him. Can you tell us about what what came out of that that realization you had when you sat down and started drawing next to him? So I accept her. I accept her. Yeah, I'll go through yeah, it. I, I, I read story. it sort of yesterday. So yeah. it's a beautiful story. But basically, he loves drawing, and you don't. You, you you might like it, but it's definitely not something you love. But anyway, you saw him I'm, drawing. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. <laughs> And so you sat down next to him and just started drawing with him. But because you were side by side, he just really got into the fact that you were doing, he knew you were doing something you don't particularly like, but you wanted to spend time with him. You were just being with him. And then he opened up and really, you had an amazing conversation and things went off in a different direction to what they might have done normally if you tried to pull him into your activity, like, hey, let's go throw a ball or something. Yeah, there's something to be said. So there's a few things there. And, you know, when I first wrote my book, that book needs to be updated, by the way. I mean, I think it's five, <laughs> five years old. I, I've, I've learned, you know, so I, I go back. I can't even read the book anymore. You probably, I mean, read, let me, you probably me, read it a few times when you're writing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, it's, it's a good, like, it's a good, it's, it's a simplified, basic version of like, hey, do you want to connect with your kids? Do you want more patience? Do you want to connect with your wife? Here's, here's how you can do it in the simplest way possible. Um, what I can tell you is that, you know, that a lot of that stuff has evolved. 
And so uh, let me share with you about, you know, the, the power of, of getting into whatever your kids are into, right? Um, I, I love fitness. I love doing things active, right? My 14-year-old, he doesn't really dig that too much. So he likes to play saxophone. So what did I do? I mean, I, I bought a guitar. And if you're <laughs> trying to learn guitar at 45 years old is... <laughs> I was telling my wife, I was like, I feel like a stroke patient who's went to rehab because <laughs> my fingers don't move the way my brain is well, telling me. <laughs> but it's it's really cool because like while he and he man, he owns that saxophone. He's awesome at it. And the thing that I'm just like, dude, like I want to be a part of what you're doing. I wanna I want us to hang out and practice together. And it's been it's been a really cool bonding experience to get into whatever activity he's into. And then uh, my 12-year-old, he plays football. I, I never played football a day in my life. I you know, throw the football around, that kind of thing. Here's the funny thing. It was just Mother's Day this past weekend. You know, I'm throwing the football back and forth. I've got, a, I've got a decent arm. Like, I can throw some distance. But I have never been able to throw a perfect spiral. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes, but it's never consistent. Yeah. And I'm always like – and I was telling my son, I was like, how do you throw a f- spiral? Maybe I should YouTube it. He goes, do you not know how to throw a spiral? And he always throws like a pretty darn good. He's got an arm for 12 years old. And I was like, yeah. He goes, well, how are you holding the ball? And I showed it to him like the, the way I was taught. He's like, that's not how you hold it. I'm like, what are you talking about? The laces are right here. Your fingers go right here. The laces are there. He said, no, no, no. He's <laughs> like, you actually have to hold the ball to where it's this finger is the only one touching the lace and it has to be between two laces. He's like, do that and try to throw it. And dude, I'll be darn (laughs) almost every pass, like nine out of 10 passes were just dead on. And I was like, this is like one of the coolest things I've ever learned. (laughs) And my, my 12 year old taught me that. So what, what I can tell you is about if you get into the activity that your kids are excited about, even if you don't know how to do it, because I think a lot of men, we, we sort of view ourselves as like, why, if I'm going to go out there with them, I got to be the teacher. A lot of times, man, your kids will master something quicker if they're teaching you. So I love it when my kids teach me something that they're excited about, because number one, I get to learn it, something I've never done. They get to see the human side of dad that like my, my 12 year old jokes with me all the time. He's like, dad, let's run a jet sweep. I was like, dude, you might as well be talking Chinese to me. I don't know what a jet sweep is. <laughs> So like the fact that he, I know what it is now, but I joke with him, but like that way he tells me what to do in that play, which that's helping him reinforce his football knowledge when he's out on the field. So I love doing that kind of thing. Plus the other thing too, is it whenever you're doing an activity to go, it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl, that activity will bond you, right? There's nothing more intimidating to a kid. If you want to connect with a kid, like if you want to connect, you and I want to connect, we go out for a beer, or we go out for coffee and we sit face to face, right? And we connect, like that's what we're comfortable with. Kids don't like that. Kids don't want to sit face to face. You know, it's intimidating for them. But if you are next to them side by side, drawing, practicing an instrument, maybe teaching your kid how to fire a gun, maybe your kid teaching you how to throw a spiral, that creates a really cool bond. It's the activity that bonds you together because when you and me, we if we were to go out and have a conversation and we sit face to face, we're drinking a beer, we're having coffee. Kids don't like that. They like to be side by side, drawing with you, your daughter painting your toenails, your 12-year-old teaching you how to throw a spiral, your other one trying to teach you how to play saxophone. Like These are the activities that really bond you together. One more important thing is that um, it's it's the conversation, okay? 
one thing that we always do is we ask really poor questions and we always expect that we're going to get a different answer. When you, when you, when your kid comes home and you're like, how was school? What do you think they're going to say? You think they're going to go into detail about how school was? They're going to, they're going to tell you good and fine, you know, or either one. So when you ask them very different questions and you bring what we call appreciation and curiosity to the conversation, and that's, that's really important. Bring appreciation and curiosity to the conversation that goes for your wife, that goes for your kids, that goes for people you work with appreciation and curiosity. Cause what most people do is we bring agenda and expectation, agenda and expectation. So when you're curious, like a child and you're appreciative of whatever is going to come out of their mouth, you're, you're engaged, you're listening, you're looking for things, you're looking for cues, you're looking for heightened vocal tone, you're looking for excitement in their face. And then that's when you can ask for more. So what I usually do, and, and now my 14 year old is on to me because he, he does the same thing with me. I'll be like, dude, what was the, uh, what was the most exciting part of your day? Like, what was the one thing that you felt elevated your day more than, more than anything else? Like, and then you'll see him, oh, you know, there was this, when I was in band practice, like I got, I got to do my saxophone solo today. Tell me about that. Oh, it was great. Like everybody wasn't playing their instrument. Like I was playing, I didn't really mess up. Dude, that's awesome. Why, why don't you think you messed up? Well, I practiced. Wow, dude, look at that. Like, yeah. I, I have seen you. I see you. I know you've been practicing, man. That's good. So that's one question. And that creates, like, excitement. That creates connection. Another good question is, what was a low point of your day? What was something you failed at? What would you learn? When you get your kids used to fa- failing and they can tell you, that they failed. What you're doing with that question is you're doing two things. You're creating growth mindset and you're also creating psychological safety. Kids never want to tell their parents what they failed at, but if you get them used to telling you what they messed up at every single day, and then the next question is, what'd you learn from it? Failure, they get used to failure. In fact, they want to learn after a while, they want to fail faster so they can learn faster. Failure no longer becomes this taboo thing. Not to mention the fact that when they do fail or mess up or anything else like that, I got to tell you something because you've created every single day psychological safety that you can fail here. You can fail safely. And we're going to talk about the lesson that you learned. So that's really cool. And then the final thing, final question is what's got you most excited about tomorrow? And that gets your kid forward thinking. And that also gives you a glimpse of like what that day is going to look like. And then you can follow up with another question the next day. Like, Hey man, yesterday you told me you were really excited about, you know, getting up early and for soccer practice, how did soccer yeah. practice go? So, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And would you normally do those around the dinner table? Cause we, we have a similar set of questions at the dinner table, that sort of, um, touchstone each day, brilliant sort of leapfrog into the next day as well. The, um, one of the things, um, that made me think of Larry was your talk about creating epic memories with your children as well. Yeah. You know what they're really excited about, but can you explain your thoughts around um, the importance of adventure? Adventure is key. Um, and when I look at adventure, I, lo- I start that process at the beginning of every year. What are we going to do that is going to be just a landmark, incredible experience and memory that we will never forget ever? Like we will be on our deathbed and we will remember it. And I got to tell you, it's not Disney. Like that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, a couple of examples of that are, I, 
I've got four kids. And what I like to do is I like to plan an experience with me and one of them every year. So like, I I like to take them all on a one-on-one trip. I travel and I speak quite a bit. So I've got like a gazillion hotel and airline points. So I, I put those to good use. And so what I, you know, like, so last year, uh, what I did was, is I took my 12 and 14 year old on a rite of passage. Rite of passage is we climbed up, we, we flew out to Breckenridge, Colorado, and we spent three days out there. And we went through the seven pillars of going from a young boy to a, to a young man. And then we summited a 14,000 foot peak. And, you know, your audience might think I'm a little crazy, but um, it's not as bad as you think because you usually started at about 11,000 feet. So it's only about 3,000 feet of elevation, but it's still about a 10 hour round trip. It's a, it's a brutal hike. Yeah. And that rite of passage um, basically symbolizes at the top of this peak, this symbolizes the end of your boyhood. And we have now started the the journey of you being a man and you coming off this peak and now journeying back into the world is now your first few steps as a, as a young man. And there was a lot of lessons learned along the way, but to them, like that was something we'll never forget ever. Uh, the other thing too is, um, you know, epic experiences can be, like I just had an idea from another podcast guest and, and I'm going to do it. Um, it, it's more of a 90 day challenge to where every day I'm going to write down something that I appreciated about that, that boy. I'm going to do this with all my kids for 90 straight days and then I'm going to give it to them. Um, I'm just going to give it to them at some point. Now the real challenge is to do it for a year. I just don't know if it, you can keep a 12 year old's attention for a full year. Uh, but, but that can be an epic experience and an epic connection and an epic experience doesn't have to be like these crazy grandiose trips or something or a trip to Disney or, you know, Alaskan cruise. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, an epic experience could be also, I took my, my 14 year old who loves music, loves music more than anything. And his favorite band is OAR. And so I flew him, he and I had a one-on-one trip. We flew to North Carolina. We got front row tickets. Luckily, I know Mark Roberts. He's been on the podcast. He's the lead singer. So we got to hang out with the band beforehand. Um, <laughs> That's pretty we epic. Got to, it was. We, we sat front row, which was great. And then we just hung out. It, and the rest of the weekend was very low-key. Like We went to Top Golf, And you know we, we went on a few hikes. But that, for him, was like, literally the best experience of his life so far. And we got to share that together. Yeah. What would be some of the other lasting memories that you've created with your, your other boys? So I'm, I'm really big on, um, adventure travel. Um, I took my boys for a camping trip in the Rocky mountains. That was fun. I took, uh, I've, I've always had this one tradition where when my kids turned six, I take them to, on a one-on-one trip to Chicago just to kind of see the shed aquarium and the Willis tower and just some of the, some of the things out there that little kids like, you know, but it's a, it's a cool thing to, to share that with share, share with them. Um, but we, we're really big on everyday adventures. Like, um, we play flag football as a, as a family. Even my wife gets involved in that one. Yeah. Um, 
but those are those are it's not those are those are some of the memories it's travel adventure and it doesn't have to be expensive or crazy yeah and i think the key there certainly that i've discovered is that one-on-one time you know that time where you're saying to the the child implicit well it's implied look i just want to hang out with you and so we're going to do this cool thing together and that for them is absolute gold and it's i think i'd take more away from it now i started out thinking oh this is going to be great for the kids but but actually i really enjoy it and i it's one of the things that i really try and lock into a week as much as possible and it could just be you know walking the dog on the beach you know something like that but it's it's that one on one the conversations that you can have and and just being with them that i think you know they just seem to lap it up and and it's become a really big part of my life now so i think the hardest thing is locking it into your schedule and that's been one of the things i've found really works well actually planning it putting it in your calendar and saying no, no this time is it's will time daddy and will time because i think the hardest thing has been when as soon as you go to take one out on a date then like one of the others are oh can i come too and it's really hard to say no uh, but if you actually plan it and put it in the schedule, it's so much easier. So, oh, we've already planned this one. Let's plan yours in. Yours is locked in for tomorrow. And then that sort of really gets over that issue um, when you've got sort of multiple kids as well. So that That is the key is you've got to give the other one something to look forward to when you're taking the other one out because they, they don't see that. They don't see that light at the end of the tunnel. They're like, oh, wow. Like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not the favorite. Yeah. Like that's, that's yeah. usually what they're thinking. Yeah, I learned that the hard way, by the way. <laughs> hey, um, Larry, if you could pause everything and spend a year doing ever doing whatever you wanted to do with the kids, what would it be? So I have a, a good friend of mine who's been on the podcast named Chris Santillo. Uh, he wrote the book uh, Resilient Parenting. Really good book, by the way. Uh, he decided to start a just he he owns i think it's five kempo schools and he's done that for years and so he's got his businesses pretty much locked down and his instructors run and manage you know these schools and what he has decided to do is take an entire year and travel the world with his kids so he calls it the five backpacks so he's got three boys and his wife and they are traveling the world and seeing the sights and if you could ask me what I would do if I took a year off, that would, that would be it. Um, I would probably do something similar to the movie, the bucket list, but I would take my family along with me. Yeah. You know, like see, see yeah, something, yeah. see something majestic, you know, go to the Taj Mahal skydive, uh, travel, see things that you otherwise wouldn't see the pyramids. I, I would do those things for sure. Yeah. And, um, I had a, uh, a friend on the other week and he was talking about how, going traveling because I always had it in my mind that I'd want to take the kids to go see things that I'd seen that sort of top down I wanted to show them or teach them things that I learned as a kid or loved as a kid whereas um, he was saying that he really he went to Japan and had an amazing time because they were both on a level pegging they both hadn't his kids and himself hadn't been there and that sort of egalitarian sort of experiencing of a new place was fantastic because he was learning just as much if not more from his kids than they were learning from him and and I, I really like that approach now so it's actually rewired the way I think about travel because I've always wanted to take my kids back to the UK you know show them all the cool stuff there and maybe go back to Japan where I used to live and show them all the cool stuff there but I I think it just when you say to yourself 
And there's so many amazing places to visit in this world. How about we just go and explore as a family together, learn new things together? And um, yeah, it's really opened my filters to that. So I'm looking forward to some some fresh adventures, shall we say, when we're all on a le- level footing. So yeah, that sounds great, Larry. I think uh, where where do you reckon would be the first stop? Ooh, the first stop. So I think I would start in the U.S. Uh, I've always wanted to take the trip that um, I've always wanted to take. Like, I think it's this two or three week tour that takes you through like Mount Rushmore, uh, the Badlands, uh, Devil's Tower, uh, Yosemite, like all these, these more mountainous uh, Yellowstone Park, like all of these places that are up in like uh, Montana, Wyoming, uh, Northern California, uh, Mount Rainier, all those places like over in um, on the Northwest as well. And then I think that I would probably make my start making my way overseas after that. So I would start there and then go international after that. I've always wanted to see, um, I've always wanted to see Australia actually. Um, I've always wanted to see New Zealand. And so those would probably be my next stops. Well, let us know as soon as you come over to Australia. We're right at the foot of the Great Ocean Road, so you'll have to stop for pizza here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now, um, when you were talking about being an aeroplane, I've got this um, thing I, I sort of keep in mind about self-care. And I know you've talked a lot about self-care. Uh, and the way I think of it is, you know, the instructions in an emergency is you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can put your child's oxygen mask on. You know, if you're not if you're not awake and, and conscious, you can't help anyone. And you often talk about um, how self-care is critical to the enjoyment and success of parenting. Can you talk to that a bit, please, Larry? Yeah, and unfortunately, this is usually the first thing men will will do away with. And that's wrong. That's a miss. Uh, and but But here's the thing. I want to applaud men because men do this with best of intentions. Well, I can't put myself first because I got people to take care of. That's selfish if I take care of my needs. There's a big difference between being completely and totally immersed in your own needs and being selfish and being taking care of what you need to take care of so you can selflessly serve on a more profound level. So let, let me let me explain what that looks like. Um, fitness for me is my it is my mentality. It is my emotions. It's even part of probably who I am spiritually and, uh, and, and physically as well. And my type of personality, I have to physically release stress. I have to, in order to get like that endorphin release in order to feel really, really good. Um, I'm just one of those people I've, I've been training for 25 years and I, I, think I've rarely missed a day. It's just part of who I am. And I could easily make the argument of like, you know, I should not get up early because I need more sleep. Or, you know, I should probably just have breakfast with my kids, just get up and have coffee or maybe even have coffee with my wife and then start my work day. When I do that, I don't show up for my wife nearly as, as, as profound as I would like. Um, I don't show up for my kids mentally and emotionally nearly as profound as I would like. Um, and I'm not as productive. So I don't show up for my community nearly as, as all I could be with, without a doubt. So 
that's actually not selfless. It's actually selfish if I don't do those things. Uh, the other thing too is if you look at what there's four elements to creating a legendary marriage, four elements, self-care is one that's foundational. Then you have partnership, then friendship, and then lovers, but self-care is in there. It is literally the four walls that a, a legendary marriage is built on. If you are not taking care of yourself, and what I mean by that is learning something new every day, taking care of yourself physically, drinking a lot of water, eating nutrition food, nutritious foods, and you don't have to do it all the time, but like, you know, eat, eat pretty clean if you can. Um, be careful what you watch. You know, like, I don't watch the news. I watch the news for a few minutes just to get like, okay, this is what's going on and I'm done with it. Um, I'm very cautious about what I put into my mind because that's going to spill out. That's going to affect self-care. So I think that there's kind of a, there's, there's a stereotype out there that's very wrong and it's very misguided of what self-care is. I think a lot of guys will think of self-care as like, oh, it's the, it's the bro in the gym that, has to be sculpted at all times and yeah. like just wants to check himself out in the mirror and he's buying himself like a fancy sports car and all the designer clothes. And you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Self-care is like, did I do the things today that I need to do to gear myself up to be the best me that I am going to be today? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's really important the the stories we tell ourselves as well. Like you, you've touched on this quite a lot as well. It's so, so important, isn't it? And one of the stories could be, you know, I absolutely, um, I, I can't do this because I've got to look after the kids or whatever. You can work around these things. Um, <clears throat> sorry, Larry. Can you actually um, touch on the importance of the stories we tell ourselves? Yeah, and just just so I know specifically, what what types of stories are you are you talking about? So the way that I, I'm well, one of the points I wanted to get to um, was like you went through you and Jessica, your wife went through a really tough time in your marriage, didn't you? And and like it, there's a huge sort of um, challenge at the time that you were working through, and and one of the key things that you took away from that was the stories that you that you sort of consciously decided to tell yourself actually helped you work through that. So on one hand, you said, ah, oh, we could say, ah, oh, we're having a really tough time. You know, we're not talking much and it's putting a huge stress on our lives. But you actually decided consciously to tell yourself a different story and it really helped you guys work through the situation. Can you talk to that a bit, please, Larry? Yeah. So you're talking about the story that I shared at the very end of that uh, book about us losing our son. Um, yeah. And just, just for context for your audience, my wife and I back in 2015 really went through, um, it was actually the end of 2014. Uh, we went through a horrific experience where my wife, we, we were pregnant and we thought all was fine and fine and good and uh, all was fine and it wasn't. Um, we got some blood work back at, at week 10. We got extra tests that indicated that there was something very, very wrong. And there was our, our baby boy was diagnosed with, uh, something called trisomy 13. Trisomy 13 is a genetic defect that affects all major organs in the body. And a child that has trisomy 13 usually doesn't survive birth. And if they do survive birth, it's only for a matter of hours, minutes, or maybe days at the most. 
So we were really battling with, my wife and I are very spiritual. We were raised Catholic. Uh, we don't believe in abortion. Even if I wasn't raised Catholic, abortion just doesn't sit well with me and never has. Um, but we were at a crossroads, you know, with our faith, even with our relationship. And we really battled with what that decision was. And, and you know, our, our doctor was like, hey, you know, I've only seen two of these in my entire practice. But, you know, if someone's dealt this this diagnosis, then most people terminate the pregnancy. And I have to admit, you know, my first go-to was that, like was to terminate the pregnancy. And that was because um, I didn't want to see my wife suffer through that mental and emotional toll of carrying that, that child. And I know I'm probably ruffling some feathers talking about this, but I'm just going to tell you my experience and what it was. Um, I, I couldn't see as a husband, as her protector, to watch my wife carry a child and have to go through the emotional and mental and physical toll, knowing that the child that she was carrying was going to pass on. Like to me, that was almost irresponsible to allow her to go through that. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, this is what we're doing and you have no choice. That is not what I'm saying. But it didn't sit well with me as a man and as her protector, like, wow, like, can I really just stand stand alongside and not say, hey, we should probably really think about this, you know, um, which we did think about it. And my wife was very torn also. She was like, wow, yeah, I really don't know what to do. Like my faith is telling me one thing and logic is telling me something very different. And we all, we even came to the crossroad of like, is it inhumane to go full term and almost cruel to allow this child to suffer and die because of our beliefs? So we, man, you talk about a torn decision, like that was something that was really, really tough. So looking back on that, yeah, you know, Jessica and I went through ebbs and flows of like, it was, there was always the elephant in the room. It didn't matter if we just woke up. It didn't matter if we were going to bed. It didn't matter if we were having coffee or if we were sitting there eating dinner. It was constantly in the background of our minds, hearts, and souls and what to do with that. And what we found was, and this is what I didn't include in the book, but I reflecting on it now, I think it'd be more valuable for your listeners. We found that we were asking ourselves really poor questions, but questions that anybody in their right mind would, would forgive you for asking. Like, so for instance, like why us? Yeah. What did we do wrong? What did we do wrong to deserve this? You know, why does this have to be our child? You know, Asking, asking these all, you know, why can't this turn out to be a normal pregnancy? Why can't we just have a normal family? All these really poor questions. And wh what I found going through that exercise that I didn't include in the book is your brain is a supercomputer and whatever question you ask it, it will absolutely positively give you the answer. So question, good question, bad question, brain doesn't care. It will tell you. So we were getting back really poor answers. Oh, you know why you, you want to know what you've done in the world to to, you know, that this karma has stricken you, these are the things you've done. You know, why can't you have a, you know, a, why can't you have a normal family? It's because maybe you didn't tithe enough at church. I mean, like all these really crazy, stupid, you know, irrational things like your brain will go, you know, we call it the monkey mind, but your brain will go monkey mind on you and give you all kinds of really crazy answers. So what we found in that experience is, is the power of the, how might we question and the power of the how, how might we question is literally the antithesis. It's, it's the complete and total opposite of the why can't I or why me question. So my wife and I started asking ourselves questions like, like, okay, so we're both faced with this. How might we embrace this 
as a test of strength on our relationship and what good can this experience actually really show and illustrate and demonstrate about our relationship and how might we come together on a more profound level than we ever have been before and even how might how might this experience even strengthen our relationship with God even though we're both kind of really ticked off at God right now but you know looking back on it God had nothing to do with it <laughs> yeah. but that's that was our thinking at the time but it's like how might we look through this through a different lens and all kinds of really better answers started showing up like how can we come together and make this decision together and feel good about it and then solutions started coming you know what we should go talk to a counselor maybe we should go talk to some people at our church we did that and then we came to a decision after all those how might we questions that we were going to shoulder to shoulder arm in arm we were going to embrace this for what it was and we were going to walk through it and we decided to not terminate that pregnancy we decided to keep him and we figured you know what he was he was conceived out of love he's going to pass away feeling and being loved that's the way it is and there's and that's what's going to bring us together and the one thing that I'll tell you, I apologize if I'm getting somewhat emotional. I haven't talked about this in a long time. Um, the the one message that we were very, very strong with, because at, at the time we had a, a six-year-old and four-year-old, they kind of knew what was going on. And um, one thing that was, I'm, I apologize, anyway, they were eight and six. Um, here was the message. Um it doesn't matter what's going on or who's impacted in this family. Uh, we don't give up on anybody in this family, no matter what. We don't give up on anybody. And that was a message that we were dedicated and clear on sending to, the, to our other two kids at the time. And that was a very powerful way to come together as a family. And it's been... It's been a foundation for us as a family as well that we don't leave anybody behind. And as you can tell, we have a whole house full of them because you can hear me back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh wow, Larry, that's um thank you for, for sharing that. That was um and um like a, a hugely it sounds like a I can't even imagine what it would be like to go through. So yeah, I am just um yeah, really touched by that. I think what <laughs> It sounds like, for one, you've got an amazing wife in Jessica. What what do you think is her superpower? I mean, she's obviously a bedrock of this relationship you guys have as well. I mean, she plays, you know, an equal part uh, as you in in guiding the family. What what would be the the thing that would really stand out that Jessica does that's just totally amazing? Do you think Jessica is a tough woman of four boys? She's a tough mom of four boys. She knows how to raise a young man well. Uh, she can be very compassionate and she can also be very tough, you know, and tough meaning not, not that she beats anybody up or anything like that, <laughs> but she can, she, can, she can have the attitude of like, I don't know, go figure it out. You know, like that, that's, yeah. that, that's kind of like her thing. Um, but Jessica's superpower, I believe, is uh, her faith. Uh, you know, she's, she's a very spiritual person. And as much as we've walked through some tough times, uh, it's always been her faith that she has relied on. It's, it's been her rock. And and the the second thing is, is she comes from a really good family. I'm blessed with amazing in-laws. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's so important having um, a great family to support you around you. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we can't do this stuff alone. I mean, we can certainly try and do a good job, but extending the boundaries of our, our family to, to almost be like the village is is really, really helpful, isn't it? I mean, without a doubt, it, I think it'll make or break you. Yeah, I think. Uh, and the other thing as well, grandparents, you just can't underestimate how important they are in uh, in kids' lives. It's it's magic to watch yeah. our kids, how they interact with the, the grandparents. Now, um, one of the things that I really picked up on in reading around the, the work you're doing is the quote that you, you mention a lot, which is, hell to you is meeting the man you could have been when you're lying on your deathbed. Now, what advice would you actually give to yourself, Larry, if you were to sort of talk to 20-year-old Larry? 20-year-old Larry? <laughs> All right, you pick an age, 30-year-old Larry. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess talking to my, to my younger self, um, that one, you know, I, I would say uh, w- without a doubt, um, I was probably headed there for a long time. Uh, the way I was living my life, the way I was going about my marriage, the way I was raising my kids, um, the way I didn't have patience with any of them. So I think, uh, the advice I would have given myself is, Hey, you're going to try to go at this alone and you're going to try to uh, convince everyone around you that you got it, that you're good, fine and good. Don't do that. The advice that I have for you is always be learning from people smarter than you. Once you are the smartest person in the room and it doesn't matter, finances, business, profession, parenting, uh, marriage, health, wellness, you're the smartest person in the room, find a new room. Just got to do it because once you're the best in the room, the, that's when you're living life alone. Um, so that would be rule number one. Uh, number two is surround yourself with like-minded men. That's really important. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I enjoy, you know, a good beer with my college buddies talking about the good old days, but that doesn't advance anybody's life forward. Uh, being able to have good, deep conversations about things that are meaningful, things that elevate my life and the people's lives around me. That is what is meaningful. And that is, those are the first couple steps to being on your deathbed and with a smile on your face that you did it, you know, there, there, you're not going to meet that man that you could have been. Yeah. That's yeah. Really important. I think, and when you just said that, then I was just thinking, imagine if it's actually your son that you're seeing on your deathbed, but you're actually, you, you've, switched it around and instead of being sad that you could have been that person you're just really proud of the person that your son has become because of the effort that you put in and I think that that could be almost a a positive sort of twist on that sort of feeling so instead of you regretting what you didn't become you can look back look up at yourself almost like the mirror of yourself because obviously your son's going to look similar to you and it's a very a, a positive affirmation of oh wow you know, I've had a great life. I've done all the things I tried to do. I tried my best and look at that amazing man standing in front of me. Agreed. Without a doubt, agreed, man. Now, um, 
Now, Larry, uh, I I want to respect your time. I know you've got super amounts of stuff on at the moment, and uh, you know Lawson is chomping at the bit behind you to uh, have some dad time. Um, is are there any projects that you're working on at the moment? Uh, anything in particular yeah. that you'd like to shout out to? Yeah, for sure. I'm actually in the process of creating a few online courses. Uh, just for one is going to be creating more patience. <laughs> Sign you up. But the course is going to be uh, interactive. So I've got, I have all the, I have the template built. All I have to do is do the video, which actually won't, won't take much time at all. Um, but I've got the content already created. That particular course is going to go over what are the elements of patience? Um, what are, actually, actually, I can kind of bring it up as I take you through it. Um, I'll probably be launching this in about 45 days or so. What are the, what are the elements of patience? And there's going to be interactive exercise. Uh, what does patience start with? It starts with a solid morning routine. Without a doubt, there's a right way to do a morning routine and a wrong way. And your patience and your ability to maintain patience throughout the day and not blow a gasket starts with when you hit both feet on the ground when you roll out of bed, without a doubt. So that, that will be one element of it. Um, another element will be uh, creating space between response and reaction, exactly physical and mental things to do, creating that space. And then the final exercise is things that you can actually do in the moment when you feel triggered. Like when your kids are doing something and all you want to do is explode and you feel the sweaty palms, you, you feel the incomplete thoughts, self-defeating talk, the shallow breathing, the racing heart, the clenched fist, the grinding teeth, the pacing, the tightness in your chest and shoulders. You can do things like count backwards from 50 to zero in, in <laughs> increments of, and in, in increments of three, <laughs> try to do that and stay angry. Uh, diaphragm breathing. We're not known for multitasking. Uh, we're not. Uh, another thing is you can actually snap your left fingers and try to wiggle your toes. Try to stay angry when you're doing that. Uh, count 10 things in the room and name them and you can't count one thing twice. There's, there's psychological ways that you can actually create space between reaction where you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction and lose your mind and to where you will respond. Yeah. And I, I, teach, I teach exactly how to do that. The other thing too is you have the Data Edge Alliance. That's our live mastermind community. You can find everything we're doing, all the information on that one. If you go to gooddadproject.com forward slash alliance, that's that's our brotherhood where we have 400 men that do life with us on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We're teaching those men um, resilience, creating legendary marriages, connections with their kids, how to master their finances, be a leader in their business and community, and take care of their physical, mental, and emotional health. We give you the, the template, the plan. We give you the tribe to keep you accountable. It is by far the most amazing work I've, I've, I've ever been a part of. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where you can find us. Brilliant. Thanks, Larry. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that morning routine. I find that if I can get that in, and it goes back to that point about self-care as well, your day just goes so much better. And you think, why don't I do this every day? And, and the days you can make it happen, it, it is an absolute priority because those days just work so much better from then on. So oh, for, yeah. forward loading that day, you, you couldn't do yourself a better favor and your family a better favor. So thanks for sharing that it. one, Larry. Now, um, you, got, you got it. 
I'll, I'll put a whole bunch of links in the show notes as well, Larry. Um, so um, we can um, share those with the listeners afterwards. But I just want to thank you um, because this has been great. Obviously, I could you know, ask you questions for hours and hours, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, thank you for all the great work you're doing, Larry. I think it's um, a real testament to the, the character that you've become because it's certainly something that you've you've done mindfully and uh, you haven't just fallen into this it's it's been a conscious effort and my hat goes off to you well thank you very much and thank you for all the work you're doing well it's a it's a work in progress just uh just trying to figure this stuff out for myself and uh yeah like i say oh, yeah. sign me up for that patience course in in uh in 45 days larry i'll be there <laughs> You got it. You got it, man. Well, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the uh, the time of the family while we're in lockdown and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you in the near future, Larry. Back at you, my friend. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Larry as much as I did. I'll leave a whole bunch of links on the website so that you can find all the projects Larry's working on or get in touch with him. If you're enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating, and even more so, please review it. I love reading all the reviews, and it helps others discover the podcast too. Well, that's all from me for now. I hope you stay safe and sane, and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>